Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief, Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Fred Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, so it was uh, Thanksgiving this past week. So I want to check in with you guys and see what you've been up to during the holidays. Uh, I'll start things off and say that I, Ketra and I just basically stayed home the day before Thanksgiving and celebrated. Uh, we got some some turkey and some, st- some sides from Honey Baked Ham. Has anybody ever like celebrated? thanksgiving from honey baked ham no one here uh they they i don't know what they do to the turkey but like it has this crust of sugar like it has a sugar crust on its um on the outside of it and it like tastes unlike any turkey i've ever had before it's like amazing um and uh on thanksgiving we went to knott's taste merry farm uh because there's so much food there that we uh, wanted to try out and uh, we we went uh, two weeks prior or a week and a half prior 
and uh, we'd been watching some other of our vlog, vlogger friends go and try other food that were like, oh, we missed out on that. We missed out on that. So we went back and had some food at uh, Taste of Merry Farm, uh, which I highly recommend. That video is going to be up, I think, later this week on Ordinary Adventures. So if you want to check that out, uh, it'll be coming soon. Brad, what did you do this Thanksgiving? Well, uh, obviously, because of everything, it wasn't a normal Thanksgiving. Um, my my parents uh, didn't even want to actually like get together for dinner. But what we did do is uh, my girlfriend and I cooked some food and my mom and dad cooked some food. And then we just uh, exchanged food so that we gave each other each what we made. And so my mom uh, and my parents took care of like the turkey and some of the sides. And then we made sides and desserts and just swapped and uh, ate at our respective homes and uh yeah you know just basically just relaxed it was very uh weird obviously but um you know it was nice just to have you know days off and obviously i'm a big fan of thanksgiving food so that was nice but uh yeah definitely one of the more i guess lackluster thanksgivings okay uh ben what did you do? Uh, my parents live probably, I don't know, two miles away from me or something like that. So my wife and I went to their house and ate with them on their patio outside, uh, like, you know, spread away at different tables and all that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, a bit of a weird thing, but we felt okay about being, uh, about eating with them, you know, under those sort of restrictions. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I, in a perfect world, we're living in this new house in Florida or new to us anyway. And, you know, maybe we would have had, you know, my whole family come over and like uh, Amy's family come over and everybody, you know, hanging out. But uh, that's that's not how it went down this year. So maybe maybe next year uh, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But yeah, it was, it was pretty low key this year. Yeah. HD, how did you celebrate Thanksgiving? Um, I stayed in New York this year, uh, because my parents, uh, basically suggested I not come down for the holidays, at least for Thanksgiving. And, um, my roommate and I were initially going to just do a dinner, a big feast between the two of us. We had planned a whole menu even. And my cousin asked if I wanted to come over to her apartment and she had just given birth uh, a week ago. So she hasn't left her apartment for a since then. So we were comfortable with going to her place and uh, we brought a bunch of food. I made some roasted Brussels sprouts. My cousin, my uh, roommate made some um, uh, cornbread stuffing and uh, we had a, a good meal, uh, just a, a very small number of people. So it, I, I, we did feel comfortable with like that, that number, even though it was indoors. And um, so that was our uh, little mini Thanksgiving feast. Chris, what did you do on Thanksgiving? Nothing. Uh, I mean, we we ate food, as is the custom, but it was just, you know, my wife and I. But uh, we've actually been, for the last few years, my wife and I have just been doing sort of a just us Thanksgiving because I've never really liked Thanksgiving as a holiday that much. So, And my, my wife's family, they live in Massachusetts, and uh, my family lives uh, further away from me in PA, so... Who needs that hassle of traveling? Not me. So the last few years, we've just been, you know, just been doing it, just the two of us, just sitting down and eating a quiet meal. And then my wife usually passes out on the couch and I watch TV. And uh, that is our custom. And that's what we did this year. So it was really nothing that different. Do you have any tradition of what you watch or anything? 
Um, I try to watch uh, long movies, which I will, uh, I'll talk to you when we get down to the, what we've been watching for this session. But I, I try and like binge through uh, lengthy films just to like take advantage of the, of the, the free time I have suddenly the days off. So, and you know, I never, I never get to watch movies any other day. So it's important to watch them <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Okay. Let's move on to what we've been doing uh, this past week. I finally bought a drone. This is something I've been looking at, I want to say, for like a year and a half now. I've been considering different drone options, and I finally uh, bit the belt bullets, and I I bought the DJI Mavic Mini 2, and uh, this is a small drone. It's like, I want to say it's smaller than your iPhone in terms of like the size, like the the depth of it is much bigger than the iPhone, obviously. Um, but it's it's a very very small drone. It's actually below the limit of that. You don't need to register it. It's like one gram below the, that limit. Um, and I took it out for the first time. Uh, I took it to the Lake Hollywood uh, Reservoir. I'm not sure if people know this, but there's actually this like below the Hollywood sign. There's actually this big lake, and there's like this. Um, it's mostly concrete. It's like a walking trail that you can go around the lake. Um, it's a good way to get exercise. And I found out that this was like one of the few places in LA that I could legally fly the drone. Um, or at least according to a couple websites. I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very weird. The, 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 the laws and regulations on drones are very strange. Uh, but I flew my drone for the first time and I, guys, I'm not good at video games, so I'm not like good at, um, <laughs> controlling things i don't know i feel like i'm i'm i'll say i uh i'm less good than the average at video games like flying through the air and stuff like that controlling uh like you know we <laughs> uh like i i looked at that new star wars game the the, the one where you're controlling like x-wings and uh to tie fighters and i was like no i'm out i can't i can't i can't deal with that um so flying this drone uh, for the first time, it was so scary. For the first, the first time I took it up, I actually like launched it, and it went up like you know when it you take off, it goes like five or four feet in the air, and it hovers there. And I literally like hit like landing. <laughs> I like landed it, and I was like, I need a few minutes <laughs> before I do this. <laughs> like the anxiety was just like extreme. I'll tell you though, once I got into into the air, it was so easy to fly. Like I, I'm not saying it's easy to get the footage to look good that I think that's a challenge, but, uh, the, I mean, well, that's not even true either because DJI has like these quick shot modes, which make like for some very cinematic views very easily. It's very like, uh, you know, you get your camera, get the drone to where you need it and you press the button and it goes through the, the (laughs) events that need to happen to make your shot look cinematic. Uh, but I can't tell you how exciting it was to fly a drone. I was like, I had like the biggest smile on my face and it was like so exhilarating and also the scariest thing ever. I'm not sure why it's so scary because like if it crashes, then yes, I, I'm, I'm out like, you know, money, but it's not like someone dies or anything. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I'm more scared flying the drone than I am like when I, you know, when I first like tried to drive or something like that which is like you know obviously lives are on the line 
when you're driving. Uh, ben, I know you are probably the one person on this podcast. Does anybody else have a drone on this podcast? I don't think so. I right? kind of want to get one, even though I have no use for it. But I just I saw the footage you uploaded on Twitter, and I was like, that looks really cool. I want a drone, but I have like I have no reason <laughs> to get one, but I, I want one anyway. Ben, you you have one, right? I know you used it on your your big trips. Yes, uh, it is very fun to fly. It is. I, I know exactly what you're talking about with that anxiety, um, Peter. Just wait until you have like a full trip's worth of footage loaded up on a memory card that is only stored in the drone. And then, you know, on your last day or two of the trip, you decide, you know what? I want one more awesome shot out over, you know, the edge of a cliff or like, you know, above a raging rapid, you know, some sort of waterfall or something. And you take it out there. Like then you'll know what true anxiety is because if it crashes at that point, not only have you lost the money that you invested in it, but you also lost all the footage that you have captured for your entire trip. Um, they have some things where you can like but upload ben, it to a wait, cloud. Ben, yeah. You, you, you say that like that's happened to you before. I mean, uh, thankfully we haven't lost it, um, but <laughs> I've been in that experience in that uh, scenario many, many times. So it's, um, it's always increasingly terrifying, you know, the further along a trip goes and like the cooler, the coolest stuff that you get, you know, I, I just, uh, I guess I could splurge and, and pay for whatever program is where like it, it automatically as it's recording stuff uploads it to the cloud, but I didn't do that. So I'm like living life on the edge every time I use it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, you gotta be, you gotta, and, and like a lot of times you just don't have any control over it. Like we're out in, you know, the, the whatever highlands of Ireland or whatever. And like you lose, uh, Wi-Fi signal and it just like takes off and goes in a different direction. You just got to hope that you can like regain control before it completely disappears. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty intense <laughs> if you're out there, you know, in an, in a desolate area where the cell service isn't great. Do, do you, will it ever get like less nerve wracking or is it always kind of like a, a big high to like whenever it takes off? Uh, it's always a big high. And yeah, to me, it never gets less nerve wracking unless maybe you're using it just like purely for fun um in an area where like if it if it crashes or or uh you know in like super low stakes environments or, or scenarios then it might uh you might lose a little bit of that high but anytime i use it it's always like to try to capture like the most epic thing possible in in a in a location where like you know, we only have a couple minutes to, to do this thing. So like the pressure is always incredibly high. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, and like sometimes, you know, you don't know exactly if you're supposed to be doing it in certain areas. So you're like worried that like somebody's going to drive by or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's, um, you know, I try to follow as many rules as I can, but sometimes they're not, not as clear as they could be, uh, like you sort of alluded to. So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I look forward to uh, hearing all sorts of stories about how you use it. Although it sounds like, you know, you can't really use it for your Disney vlogs and stuff like that because Disneyland is like a no-fly zone. And so many of the places that we've encountered have been, you know, and especially over the past few years have been like no drones, like giant signs over, you know, big um, landmarks and stuff like that. Like they they specifically have signs now, so they don't. Oh, really? These, yeah, areas don't get completely ruined by tourists, just, just, you know, 40 drones flying around in the same spot. Um, so I wonder what you think you're going to use it for specifically. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I mean, Kitra and I have this dream of like 
traveling. <laughs> so, I mean, I want to do some travel travel vlogs. I I mean, like in, in a couple of weeks, I think we're going to go to the Casabon dinosaurs, which uh, people listening to this podcast, uh, where is it? Like Palm Springs? It's in, out in the middle of the desert somewhere. It, it You would know it from uh, The Wizard, the Fred Savage movie, or it's also from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's like these huge dinosaurs that are built out in the desert. They uh, This year, I'm not sure if they've done it previously years, but they've dressed them up as uh, in Christmas costumes. So we were going to go visit that for a vlog. And I was like, oh, I could use it out there. You know, there's no trees anywhere. Yeah. I would feel that like... seems like a perfect spot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I probably picked the worst spot to try it for the first time because I was flying it over like water. So if anything went wrong, like I would have not been able to recover the, <laughs> the drone. But it was also the closest place to where I live, which it said that, you know, I could fly it. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Hollywood, I had to, I took it like, I don't know, 45 minutes out of <laughs> out of the city, basically, and, and went to like a, a mountain because that was like one of the only places that I could find that wasn't within, you know, certain X number of miles of an airport and also didn't have power lines everywhere because you're not really supposed to fly it over or near power lines too because that could sort of mess with the, uh, I don't know, if the internal systems or whatever the hell is going on in there. Um, so yeah, it, it was tough to find a, a spot, but that's a that's a great uh, spot up there at the Hollywood Reservoir. Yeah, and I, I think we hit it at the perfect time too because flying a drone when you're getting drone photography, not to get into the weed of things, but it seems like it's better at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. And we got there like right as the sun was setting. So I think like the, the video footage of it, like looks so good just because we happened to be there at the like exact right time. Mm -hmm. but, yep. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this after flying the drone, I did purchase, I went online and purchased from DJI. They have like a, a $50 a year um, program that will like, if you break your drone, they'll replace it. But but, you know, they won't do that if you lose it. So. Right. <laughs> so if it falls in the water, I'm screwed. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So I did that this past week. I'm excited to fly some more. Like, I'm, I'm like, like if, I don't know. I've never, I've never been one of those people that like, like, I want to fly an airplane or I want to be, a, you know, an astronaut or jet fighter or something, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But now, like, I'm like a junkie to like wanting to go out and fly this drone. So I'm, I'm probably going to do a little bit more of that uh, in the future. Uh, I also on Monday, I went to downtown Disney um, because they had a preview of the merchandise from Avengers Campus. This is the new theme park land based on the Marvel Cinematic Universe property. And it was supposed to open this summer. It did not because of this global situation. And it's going to be opening sometime next year. But I'm guessing Disney purchased like they had someplace in china make all this merchandise and it's been sitting in a warehouse and they're probably receiving more and more shipments so they uh i think they, they basically just decided to sell it early which seems kind of strange but uh you know they're, they're trying to get rid of it i guess like you know and stuff sitting in a warehouse it's losing money for them so we went to downtown Disney to check out the Avengers Campus merchandise. The 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 best thing out of the bunch was a lot of T-shirts and hats that said Avengers Campus or Web, which is the company that uh, Stark Industries created for Peter Parker, I think, or something like that. And the this uh, Marvel Cinematic Theme Park Universe. Um, the they're one of the the big ride that's going to be opening with Avengers Campus is called Spider Man Web Web Slingers something or web slingers a spider-man adventure i don't know it's a horrible name but it basically it's a spider-man ride where 
you are in web and the spider bots have gotten loose and you need to like help Peter Parker contain them. And uh, so, so uh, it's weird because the spider bots I think have appeared in the comic books. I, am I right about that? Jacob have spider bots appeared in the comic books. Yeah, depending upon who is writing Spider-Man, sometimes Peter Parker has an entire arsenal of scientific craziness at his side. And I'm not sure where it is right now, but I know when I was last reading Spider-Man about five or six years ago, he was all super scientist. So, short answer, yes. And they're also in the game, the 2018 video game. I'm not sure if they're in the new Miles Morales game or not, um, but because you play as Peter Parker in the 2018 game, there's like some side quests and stuff that use those spider bots where you can control them around the streets as well. Yeah. It's actually kind of strange because Spider-Man has like the best rogues gallery of, I mean, that, that actually Jacob does Spider-Man have the best rogues gallery. I, I, I guess you'd have to compete him with like what Batman. Yeah. I'd say of the Marvel characters, Spider-Man has the best villains. I mean, only Batman compares. Uh, in fact, like, I honestly don't think anyone comes close <laughs> to Batman or Spider-Man, to be honest. Yeah. So it's strange that they built this ride, and then the antagonist in the ride isn't any of these villains that that we know of. It's these Spider-Bots. But anyways, okay, so my point is that they, they were selling these Spider-Bots, but aside from people that read the comics or played that video game, which I guess there's a lot of people that played the video game, um, you wouldn't know what these Spider-Bot things are. So I'm wondering if they're going to sell or not. We were there on an Eno Passolder preview and we bought a Spider-Bot and we uh, teamed up with another uh, vlog, uh, Fresh Baked Disney, and we had the Spider-Bot battle in the middle of the Esplanade right outside Avengers Campus. Um, but these Spider-Bots are pretty cool. It's like a remote control. I mean, it's a toy. It's like 80 bucks. Uh, it's, it's cool because it's almost like a real-life video game where your controller... It has some lights. So it has five lights showing how many lives you have. And then on one one side, it has like your ammo. So you only have a certain amount of ammo. And there's you have like a, a more extreme type of shot. And you have a, a lesser laser. And there's ways of ducking. There's a, a way of uh, like putting up these shields. Um, but if you put up the shields, then you can't put up the shields again for like, you know, it times out, it times out. So it's, it's almost like a real life video game with these like spider bots. And it's a lot of fun. I could totally see, you know, people <laughs> buying these when Avengers Campus opens. I'm just wondering if they're going to if they're going to buy them before it opens, because no one's going to you know recognize the characters. Peter, are you suggesting that Disneyland fans aren't going to spend money on Disneyland merchandise? <laughs> Well, but usually they recognize it. Usually it's like, oh, I'm going to buy this T-shirt with a Dole Whip on it because I like the Dole Whip. And Disney, do you know what I mean? Like, this is something that's like never appeared in Disneyland or hasn't appeared in Disneyland. Yeah, I think you're right. But I also think that the, the hardcore Disney fans like you are so clued in to, to everything <laughs> that they're all going to buy this anyway. I, I, I think this is going to be a big seller. Yeah. Anyways, we put up the video yesterday. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check out what the spider bot looks like. It's really cute. Is it and is it cooler like, or not as good as the droids you can get at Galaxy's Edge? I actually think it's a lot cooler than the droids because of the game function. But that said, the game function will, will really only work if you have multiple spider bots, right? So, gotcha. like... Yeah, and, and apparently there's ways of upgrading them. Like you could buy like a, a wasp like suit for him, and it'll do different things and uh, make different noises, and it looks different. I don't know that, that those weren't available when we bought them, uh, so I'm sure they're you know 
Disney's printing money is basically what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm sure there's going to be like a spider bot arena outside this store in the land and people, all the kids are going to be fighting each other. And it's cool too. When you take out another spider bot, it's like head, like ejects. It's like you kill them. Um, so it, it's very physical. I don't know. They really have brought like a video game into real life with these, I think. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but I'm not sure if it's a lot of fun. If you only have like, if you're a lone kid with just one of them crawling around your house. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, okay. Yeah. But I, I would actually say they're better than droids, which coming from me, someone who loves star Wars and galaxy said just a, a big, uh, claim to be had. Okay. So, uh, I've talked long enough, uh, Brad, what have you been doing? Uh, so over the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, me and my girlfriend and then my parents separately in another car decided to go to a drive through Christmas lights display um, that is that happened. They actually just started this year. Um, apparently, there's this. So it's this place called Chipshuana. It's predominantly um, an Amish community, and they're famous for having this huge flea market uh, during the, the spring and summer seasons. And then during winter, they have... Um, they usually have a walkthrough uh, lights festival, but they're not uh, doing that this year for obvious reasons. And so they decided to launch a drive-through display for, uh, for the first time. And uh, even though we had to wait in our car for a couple hours, because this was a very popular destination on Thanksgiving weekend when people can't go and do normal indoor things uh, like see movies and, and go to you know, certain destinations like stores and whatnot. Um, it would end up being worth it. Uh, we admittedly got grumpy in the car while waiting because the, the line moved very slowly because since this is uh, near a, um, a smaller town um, and since it's an Amish community, um, even though it is kind of a tourist destination, um, it's country roads leading to where the, the center is, where the, um, the flea market is. That's where the lights set up are. And so there's no, like easy way to have the line of cars except just on these roads and so uh no matter which way you come you're stuck waiting in a line but because the of where it is you have to go through a main intersection in the town first so you're essentially waiting in one of four different lines so that's why it took such a long time to go through there and and then it was frustrating because of course you have the worst people who are trying to cheat the system by driving up some of the side roads and then trying to come in off a side street and cut in front of the line. And so people were definitely being very defensive of their uh, spots, as, as were we in, the, in one of the main lines. So where when people are trying to creep in slowly to get in, like, in between cars, uh, one, uh, a, a suburban full of uh, some of the worst people you you could imagine um decided to like give us the gesture like what what are you doing come on and so i rolled on my window to see and and looked at them like like what and the driver just looked away it didn't have it didn't even want to like uh suddenly not confront me and then her friend (laughs) in the back seat opens up the door and is like like we've been waiting here as long as you have and i go how long have you been waiting and, the, and she goes, an hour? And I go, we've been here for two hours. And she she's like, we were getting food and we parked over here. I'm like, that is your problem. <laughs> and so <laughs> they tr- kept trying to inch closer. We cut them off. And then the person, the car behind us didn't let them in either. Everyone like had solidarity. It's like, no, this is not happening. And eventually they just backed up and drove away. So we felt success. 
uh, in in ruining the, their cheating plans. <laughs> and then the the Christmas lights display was worth it. Um, if you head to to my personal uh, Instagram, my username is just Brad Froman. I posted some photos with, of some of the the funnier lights that didn't really translate to being super Christmassy and were kind of weird. Uh, so feel free to check those out. But um, if you happen to live in Northwest Indiana or Southern Michigan and you're near Shipshawana and you uh, have some time to spend waiting in line um, on the weekends for this display, it's a very cool display. It's a fun, festive thing to do. Um, and it's uh, it's reasonably cheap uh, since it's only $20 for a car load. So if you're looking for something to do uh, for the holidays, feel free to check that out. Very cool. Ben, what have you been up to? Well, uh, Amy and I celebrated the annual Vince Garal Day, which is a holiday that we made up, which is always celebrated on the day after Thanksgiving, where we uh, sort of mark the official transition from Thanksgiving into Christmas. So we went out and got our Christmas tree and decorated the house um, and put lights up and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun just like putting up uh, lights and, and decorations in this house for the first time and trying to figure out you know where everything's going to go and and all that that whole thing. So it added an, an extra little element to um, decorating this year. So I just wanted to uh, wish everyone a belated happy Vince Garal Day. Oh, I guess I should explain just maybe for people who are listening for the first time. Uh, th- it's called that because um, we also uh, basically don't listen to any Christmas music at all until that day. Uh, and then the album that we listen to all day is uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas by Vince Garaldi Trio. So that's why it's called Vince Garaldi. Day. So the E, the Graldi, uh, gets taken off there? Right, yeah. you, you got to throw the day in there somewhere, Peter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, let's start off with Happiest Season on Hulu. I know uh, Chris, I think, talked about it last week. And H.C., you saw this. I'm going to start off with you because I know that you're probably going to have a lot to say here. So I'll, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, I was looking forward to the happiest season because it presented itself as being something, a, a new, new, unique LGBT spin on the Christmas holiday rom-com, which is actually a genre I'm not really fond of. <laughs> I don't enjoy holiday rom-coms that much, except for maybe The Holiday and Love Actually. But um, my lukewarm take is that a lot of Christmas movies are just bad, <laughs> but in a way that is a, uh, you know, sort of warm, like sentimentally. So you're like, oh yeah, it's a bad Christmas movie, but something that gives you a little bit of comfort. Um, Happiest Season did not give me a lot of comfort. And I couldn't tell whether this was because of my anger over the character's bad decisions <laughs> was coloring my enjoyment of this movie, because I feel like I wonder if it was marketed as anything other than a cheery lesbian Christmas rom-com between Kristen Stewart and um, Mackenzie Davis, if I would enjoy it more, like if it was a bleak indie <laughs> drama instead. Whoops, sorry, my Siri went off. I don't know why. Um, then maybe I would enjoy it more because I think it's a well-made film but and a well-acted film. But uh, I, I just, um, I feel like maybe because yeah, I just, uh, I, I couldn't bring myself to enjoy it. I had a lot of problems with it. Number one being Mackenzie Davis's really bad wig. Actually, everyone's bad wigs. But um, yeah, I just, uh, it was, it was all right. It wasn't great. Wow. I'm surprised because I thought I was giving you the floor, HG, because I thought you were going to be the positive one. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and that was going to be the negative one. But you basically said what I was going to say. Yeah, there's, I don't know. I think she's not a good character and she's making horrible decisions and 
I don't know. I, I know this is just kind of a generic rom-com. I do think that the premise is super clever um, or not clever. I don't know what the right word for it would be, but uh, it, I don't know. I just feel like doing this whole coming out, like I, I feel like other films have done it better. And I don't think this brings anything very, I don't know, totally new to the table. I know uh, Kitra kind of liked it a lot more than me. Um, so I, I do know that some people will be fans of this movie, but I don't know. Uh, and also, I wanted to ask you guys what you guys thought, because and maybe there's controversy over this. Maybe there isn't. I haven't even done the search, but I know. Uh, in the past, like there's been some controversy over certain straight actors playing uh, gay or trans roles on screen. And as far as we, as I know, Mackenzie Davis is not gay. Is, is there any controversy around this or is the, like, well, HD, what, what is the, what is the deal? Like, is it like, do we get upset when it's a certain actress or I don't know? Like, Maybe there has been controversy. I haven't even seen. I, I, I maybe I'm out of the bubble or out of the loop here. Uh, well, there's no ca- controversy over her casting, as far as I know, just over her character and how she. Yeah. A lot of people have just been saying that oh, she's a very toxic girlfriend, which I agree with, and that's fine in a movie <laughs> that's not that's you know not supposed to make me happy. Um, but uh, I don't know. I I I feel like I don't think there's been controversy over casting specifically, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so happiest season. I think HT and I are both on the page of you could maybe skip it. Uh, Chris, I think is, uh, his, his, uh, his love for case stew, I think is, is glossed. I mean, that's <laughs> certainly part of it. It doesn't hurt that like I'm, I'm attracted to like every woman in this movie, but I don't know. I, I definitely agree that it has these problems, but I don't know. I thought it was you know, I enjoyed it while I watch it. Like, I'm not going to like watch it every Christmas. It's not going to be like, ah, a new tradition for me, but I, I liked it when I saw it. I kind of feel like, I feel like just because the movie doesn't go where people want it to go, it doesn't make it a bad movie. Like I'm seeing a lot of people being like, ah, they shouldn't have ended up, you know, staying together in the end, but it's like, that doesn't make it a bad movie. Just be, you know, you know, some times people end up with the wrong person. I kind of feel like, you know, people are really mad about that. This is yeah, the that's romantic the, that's, comedy. That's the main thing that people are mad about, which is why I'm also kind of on the fence of, is it a bad movie? Is it a not a bad movie? Because most of my, I think reaction to it is towards the character's actions, which I think is like, is fine. I think the problem is uh, Kristen Stewart has like much better chemistry right. with Aubrey Plaza than she does with Mackenzie Davis. So everyone's like, well, they should have just ended up together. And I don't, you know, I don't disagree with that, but I also feel like it doesn't make the movie, you know, quote unquote bad. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it reminds me of how I, how, there's so many like so-and-so problematic rom-coms out there. Like it made me think of how I reacted to my best friend's wedding where all the characters were terrible. And I'm like, well, none of them should end up together because they're all bad for each other. So it's, it's that kind of thing. I think where I think people's reactions to the movie are colored by like, their their wishes for their the characters' actions to be different. Next up, let's talk about Gone Girl. Two people strangely have watched this this week. Let's start with Jacob. Oh, I'll want, I want to pass the hat to HG because I want to know if she watched Gone Girl for the same reason um, I did with my wife, which is 
It popped up on Hulu. We said, Gone Girl's good and hit play. Yeah, well, that's essentially it for me because it did pop up on Hulu recently. And I actually watched it with my old roommate and her boyfriend because he had never seen Gone Girl before. So we were all excited to get into the holiday spirit and watch Gone Girl together. Also, it was in my most recent streaming column, which I know everyone on this site reads religiously, and that's why you watched it. I read it religiously, Chris. I definitely saw it on your streaming column. Sure. I read every single article published on this goddamn website. So, yeah. Sure you do. (laughs) But yeah, Gone Girl, it's really, really good. And it's one of those things where now David Fincher has made movies that um, reek of importance sounds snobby. But like Zodiac, you watch it and go, oh, this is a great movie. This is a movie about things. Uh, whereas Gone Girl is just really interested in being a really good thriller. And it's really funny. And there's some satiric undertones. But first and foremost, Gone Girl is just a top to bottom, beginning to end, entertaining as all get out movie. It is the perfect combination of trash and prestige. It looks amazing. It feels amazing. But it's just lurid enough. I laugh out loud constantly that casting of Ben Affleck as a guy who is who is inherently dislikable uh, is the best use of Ben Affleck maybe I've ever seen. Uh, I think this movie has aged so well after, over the past six years to the point where it's top tier Fincher. It's up there with Zodiac for me. Uh, HD, do you agree with me after this recent viewing? Oh, yeah. I actually hadn't seen Gone Girl since it came out in theaters, and I remember being wowed by it then. I had a lot of expectations going into it because I'd read the book before uh, by Gillian Flynn, and I loved it. And I had, you know, it's always that kind of nervousness anticipation when you're seeing a book that you really like get adapted for the first time. But Fincher cannot be a better adapter of books. He really nailed that um, tightrope tone that the book also walks of lurid lifetime soap and that real jaw-clenching butt-clenching thriller (laughs) (laughs) i think what hitchcock and fincher have in common uh more so even than their perfectionism is that they're perfectionists who love trash and like to transform trash into to give you the illusion that's not trash while wallowing in it does that make sense Oh, yeah. I mean, it embraces trash. It doesn't try to pretend it's above it, which I think is what's so refreshing and so exciting about uh, directors like Fincher and Hitchcock because they don't pretend to be highbrow. They they um, they sit comfortably in between and in, in doing so are much more enjoyable to watch than ones who, who uh, try to keep above the lowbrow stuff. I, I do feel like Gone Girl was one of those films when I saw it for the first time with critics, everybody I think was... I don't want to say disappointed, but I think they were expecting what Jacob said, a film of more importance. And this film is, you know, it is what it is. But like after seeing it a second time, I I realized the brilliance. I I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but I feel like this is a film that definitely grows on you. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think about all the Fincher movies. I mean, uh, he's famously, you know, as the main press cycle has reminded us a very demanding, exacting filmmaker. Uh, but the results uh, means that every shot of his movie, every moment uh, has a meaning and uh, lingers in a way that somebody who does not care as much as Fincher could never nail. So even when he's like, you know, we talk about the, the Fincher movies that maybe aren't, uh, seem a bit more, have less massive aspirations, you know, the, the panic rooms and the gone girls. Uh, it means that more so than a regular thriller, 
they're just the, they're these full meals. They're, every frame is offering you something, and you feel these movies more than you would, you know, a Lifetime movie, for example. So, yeah, I, I think that rewatching only lets you linger on how every choice works. There's nothing perfunctory in David uh, Fincher movie. One thing I want to add is that um, uh, I guess since we we talk so much about how great this movie is, I want to have a little bit of a add a little bit of a hot take into this conversation that I has been kind of brewing on my mind since I first saw this in theaters a long time ago, and it's mostly um, fed by my experience with the book. But I think that Rosamund Pike is perfectly cast for the second half of the movie, but not so much for the first half, and. This is because I think that the cool girl, as described by her character Amy and described in the book, um, which really elevates the book as and the and the story in general, that she describes is kind of not really depicted by her in a way that is accurate to her description. I think that she is so good at playing that chilling sociopath, not so much at playing that breezy cool girl that she describes. Do you guys? Do you guys all, all want to hate me, or well, I don't hate do you. I have I, any allies here? I don't hate you. I just think that that version of the character is talked about more than seen, so it's never it was never really a big issue for me. But also, I, I agree that her strengths as an actress uh, in this role in this movie are really shown in the back half of the film, where we get to see uh, the, her real face. And if we had more actual flashbacks and more, you know, constant scenes of her pre disappearance, and maybe I would be um, all with you on this train but right now for me it's something that i guess i can forgive uh yeah no i i think you're actually probably right about that ht i i think she was cast for that second half and not for the first half and maybe she doesn't yeah no i i, I could totally see that did you know that reese witherspoon who executive produced this movie originally intended to play amy dunn and it made me think that i feel like Reese Witherspoon would be perfect for that first half of the movie. And if you combined Reese Witherspoon and Roseman Pike, you'd have that perfect Amy. Oh, man. I'm very curious to see the alternate universe version where that happened because I like Witherspoon a lot. I think she's very, very good at certain types of roles. I'm not sure if she could pull off the chilling sociopath, but I'm also <laughs> wanting to see her try. Yeah, she could pull off the first half. I'm not sure she could pull off the second. But... Resimmoned Pika Spoon. Get on that, people. Uh, I'm, get the I'm bundle sure pod. Get, get, the, get the, the pod from the fly. We'll toss them both in there. We'll have the new actress. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, Brad and Chris, you both watched Soul. Let's start off with Brad. What did you think? Um, I loved Soul. Uh, this is um, probably my favorite Pixar movie since Inside Out. And uh, it does share similar flares with that movie since it also comes from Pete Docter and uh, deals with these sort of ethereal planes that need to be fully imagined and have no uh, tangible place, you know, in, in the real world. And it's uh, it's what Pixar does best. They take these uh, adult themes confronting life and death um, and satisfaction with your, your place in the world and uh, what you're passionate about and what you do and what defines you and uh, and that kind of thing. But it makes it... Um, easy to digest for for kids to get to get a grasp on and it's it's still funny for them too there, there's you know uh you know great classic disney sort of comedy here um I, i've talked about before since i did the early press day for this that the animation in this movie is uh incredible the the real life settings again like i can't stress enough just 
if you didn't have these caricature style characters in these settings, if you were shown a photo of, you know, Joe Gardner's band classroom or his apartment or, or, you know, things like that, you probably wouldn't be able to discern it from being a real photograph of a place that actually exists. The, the animation that Pixar is uh, churning out is uh, unbelievable um, and somehow continues to get better. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a great movie. Jamie Fox and uh, Jamie Fox, Jamie Fox and, uh, and Tina Fey uh, make for a really great duo. They, the way they play off each other is uh, both funny and touching. And the, uh, the soul world itself is such an imaginative place. And the things they did with some of the characters there, it's, um, it's very funny, very surreal, very uh, trippy and bizarre. And it's just so ambitious. And it's, um, it just really reminds you, you know, the original high quality stories that Pixar can tell. Um, and I hope that they start doing more of that instead of doing as many sequels as they had done recently. And that's speaking as somebody who still enjoyed the hell out of Incredibles too. And, uh, you know, really did like Toy Story 4, even though it was unnecessary, but it's, um, it's nice to see them digging back into stories like this. Yes. What did you think? Um, I, I really liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie because the way they're marketing it is not quite what the movie is. And, and uh, I don't have any problem with that. I, I like being surprised, but it's kind of hard to for me to fully articulate the problems I had with it. I'll say I liked the second half of the movie more than the first half, but um, uh, I agree with Brad. The animation is just it's some of the best Pixar has ever done. Like there are shots of New York City in this movie that are just so goddamn gorgeous and you you like completely forget that it's like animated at times it's just it's 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 kind of like mind-blowing away but um uh, the movie you know its heart is in the right place it's got some really great emotional beats in it and uh you know i i definitely liked it a lot i didn't love it quite as much as like you know i loved inside out but it's definitely you both also saw promising young woman uh chris tell us about that Uh, yeah, this movie, you know, I, I feel like the odd man out here because I'm seeing so much praise for this movie. Uh, people are talking about it being like an Oscar and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm just not quite there. Um, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is, is so damn good in this movie. Um, it's got some really interesting filmmaking. It, it's very, it's almost like surreal at times. And there are like, there are very odd like needle drops all through the film, which I was not expecting. Um, but I don't quite think this all comes together as well as it should. And uh, again, I can't say too much without spoiling things, but the third act of the movie, it requires a lot of... Um, <laughs> what it, it requires a lot of like logic leaps that I just don't think quite connect like you have to suspend your disbelief for a lot of the stuff that happens in the third act to make sense and i kind of had a bit of a problem with that so uh but i also know i'm very much in the minority here because seemingly everyone who sees this movie loves it to death and i'm just over here like it's fine so that's that's my review of promising and Woman. it's fine yeah um i i really enjoyed this movie i i think i'm probably a little more positive on it than chris is but i do um agree with some of what he says i I think that the movie overall doesn't quite feel oscar worthy although i do think carrie mulligan's performance does because 
what's great about this movie is that it can it confronts an issue that has been very prominent in recent years because of the um you know me too charges and hollywood kind of you know really listening to women and these these stories of terror that they've gone through um and really just you know overall in in society in general and so it, it taps into a really um important piece of you know women's trauma and how uh carrie mulligan's character deals with it but it is kind of in the frame of a fairly formulaic uh revenge thriller um but that being said it's a very uh confident film like i i was curious while um watching it because this was a movie where i knew i was playing at sundance but it was one that i kind of chose to stay away from reading anything about it or really digging into it. Um, and I'd only ever seen one trailer. Um, and it was in, in theaters, I think even like, but before the pandemic. And so I didn't realize that this was um, such an, an early film for uh, the director Emer- Emerald Fennel. And it's such a confident debut. And I'm very excited to see what, what else um, this filmmaker can come up with because uh, the, the films, like Chris said, has such an interesting aesthetic. It's um, very vibrantly colored. Um, sometimes, almost like in in the same way that like Napoleon Dynamite was but not in like uh, a quirky comedic way it's just that that's just happens to be the aesthetic of the movie um and and like Chris said to the soundtrack is as is part of that as well um and i think that over overall it's just it is a exquisitely menacing sort of thriller largely because of Carrie Mulligan's performance um but i think overall as a movie it it maybe could have achieved a little bit more and really honed in more on what it was trying to accomplish and uh yeah like also like chris said it's hard to talk more about that without spoiling anything but it is um i do still think that it is a a very good movie and it's definitely uh worth seeing if you are able to watch it uh when it comes out later this month okay cool uh what have i been watching i've been watching the flight attendant this is a new series on hbo max the first three episodes premiered it's an eight episode miniseries and this is adapted from the 2018 novel of the same name uh it stars kiwi coco cuckoo coco i don't know how to pronounce her name i think it's cuoco cuoco uh i've never seen her in i think anything but apparently she's uh the actress from big bang theory and i guess she she also voices harley quinn in the animated series so you might know her from that um, I really didn't know anything about her and this debut, or I guess this isn't her debut. I guess she's been around for a while, but this debut in my world, uh, is, is kind of great. Uh, it's put her on my radar. Uh, she plays a flight attendant who wakes up in her hotel room in Bangkok hungover from the night before. And, uh, there is a dead body lying next to her. She's afraid to call the police. Uh, she continues her morning as if nothing happened and tries to, like, you know, uh, erase her involvement in being there. Uh, it, it's a pulpy black comedy slash tense thriller and has some very fun visual flourishes. It's fast moving. It's fun. It's funny. Um, it's one of those things that's like a really hard thing to describe because it's so genre bendy. You know, it's not just like a tense thriller, but it also has like this comedy and it's very stylish. It, it's very like doesn't fit into one category. Um, uh, she, she like amazingly walks like this 
fine high wire act uh like in in the show at least the first three episodes uh Susanna Vogel directed the first two episodes uh she wrote the movie book smart so she has some pedigree there uh there's um some great interplay here with her family of flight attendants they also includes Ro- Rosie Perez um and uh her best friend uh is played by um Susa Mamet from Girl the, she, she was in the uh show Girls uh she's she's great as well uh the show goes deeper than you think it's going to like uh she's having conversations with this dead guy that was uh that awoke ne- or she awoke next to like kind of in her mind it's kind of i want to say almost like dexter in that way that it's playing with that and she's examining her past memories and there's flashbacks and i don't know it, it, it's such a weird show i think it was supposed to debut when hbo max first uh launched but it didn't and uh, the first three episodes are up now it's an eight episode miniseries, and I highly recommend this. I actually think a lot of people on this podcast would enjoy this series. Uh, it's called The Flight Attendant, and it's uh, very, very easy to binge through those first three episodes. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be watching it uh, the whole, the whole first season. Uh, Peter, it, I just wanted to ask, actually, do you think that with the, the Flight Attendant and adding to the HBO Max like, original titles, do you think that their original lineup is starting to shape up? Huh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure because this is the only HBO Max original that I've watched, so I don't know. That's on my list but since, have, since you talked about it. They have Raised by Wolves too, which I feel like we should have seen, but none of us really watched. Is Raised by Wolves HBO Max? Everybody should watch HBO? Unpregnant, which is one of their so this is the movies, and it's so, it so is Max? Good. Please watch it. Okay. I'm always confused of, like, what is Max and what is HBO? Like, I watched The Vow, but was that HBO or was that Max? I think that's HBO. <laughs> yeah, it's all very confusing. They need to work on that branding. That's, yeah, a, that's a Max. Yeah. That's a Max um, I would highly recommend yeah. checking this out. I, 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 HD, I think you would enjoy this. Chris, I think you would enjoy this. It's, it's, it's a uh a fun show and i and it's it's i love television miniseries that adapt like a one novel because you know that this is a well you don't know it's a well-constructed beginning middle end but it you know that there is a constructed beginning middle and end and it's not a showrunner just creating a premise and you know week to week figuring out where they're going to go with it and not pointing any fingers or anything like that but uh i feel like the first season of dexter did this well in adapting that first uh novel and like it's almost like you're getting you know an eight-hour movie instead of like you know just episodic or serialized television so um yeah uh i'm enjoying it flight attendant hbo max and the only other thing i wanted to plug this week is i started watching this guy named pump c on youtube that's p-o-m-p-s-i-e uh, i don't know how i he came into my recommended list or whatever but he's a filmmaker in las vegas uh a guy that lives in las vegas he used to live in new york i think he worked for gary v and uh he's um he's very creative very uh uh he recently because he lives in las vegas he's been chronicling how vegas has been reopening and he's been doing like hotel tours and so yeah but it's not like you're like boring like i'm gonna show you you know give you a 
tour of my room. It's really done in a well-done cinematic way. And he's a, an interesting character. He's fun. Uh, he's funny. Uh, he's likable. And uh, it's interesting to see what's going on in Vegas through his lens. So I'll put a link to that in the show, no- show notes. Uh, his name is Pompsy, And I think he does like most of the videos are like under 10 minutes long. And they're mostly involving like the Las Vegas strip. But uh, um, there's one where he where he was filming his video in the Cosmo and got kicked out um, and trespassed. So uh, you know, watch that one, maybe. Or uh, watch uh, where he goes to Trump Tower or not uh, Trump Trump Hotel. I guess it's not Trump Tower. Trump, Trump, the, the, the Trump Hotel that's in Vegas. I was always curious to see what it looks like in there. Um, and uh, yeah, got to see that. Anyways. Um, yeah, Pompsy on YouTube. Jacob, what have you been watching? I took everyone's advice, uh, advice of friends, family, people on this podcast, and I watched uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. The first time I fired up my Apple TV Plus account was not for any of their super high-budget, fancy, epic <laughs> genre shows, uh, but for the Jason Sudeikis comedy about the American football coach who... Uh, is hired to coach a soccer team in England. And I was really hesitant to give it a try because I love Jason Sudeikis, but it just seemed like, how could this be funny? And holy cow, this show is great. This show is, if you like Parks and Recreation, uh, Shit's Creek, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's, it's carved from a very similar uh, stone. It is very thoughtful, very warm, and cruelty-free. I mean, it's, it's so easy to write comedy where people are mean to each other or nasty to each other, where this is a show where the biggest laughs come from people growing closer together and from forgiving each other and from being polite to each other, uh, which shouldn't be a thing. It, it, it should not be a way comedy works, but damn it, Ted Lasso is out here doing it. I watched all 10 episodes of season one in two sittings. It would have been one sitting, but I had to stop myself because it was late. And Jason Sudeikis, man, uh, I think him and Bill Hader may be the two best uh, SNL alums in decades. I, I feel like, between Barry on HBO and Ted Lasso on Apple, uh, I can't think of other SNL veterans, maybe the past 20 years, who are as skilled as actors as those two. And this is a perfect uh, uh, showcase for him as an actor, as well as a comedian. Uh, Ted Lasso is great, 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 great. I can't recommend it more highly. Nothing gave me more joy this year than 10 episodes of Ted Lasso, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm so reluctant. Everybody's telling me to watch this, Jacob, but I hate, I hate, hate, hate sports. Like it's, ba- I- it's barely a thing. Sports are, it's not about sports. It's, it's about the people on the team. I think there may be two episodes that take place with scenes on the soccer field. Okay. Maybe I'll have to give this a chance. I guess in a year where I felt really, really crappy about my country, uh, Ted Lasso is the ideal American character. I mean, I can't think of a, of a more, of a portrait of an American, a fictional American who better sums up what I want my country to be than Ted Lasso. And that seems like a, a, such a strange thing to say, but it's such a warm, lovely, loving character who embodies the optimism and spirit and can do attitude that I'd like to think America is about. And often most of the time is not. And it presents this vision of an American going overseas and bring the best of his country's uh, uh, feelings and pride with him. Uh, and that's not what I thought I needed in this year, but it turns out it's exactly what I needed this year. Uh, Ted Lasso was great. Great, Peter. Great, 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 great. Okay. What else have you been watching? 
I watched Possessor as part of my uh, 2020 catch-up on films I missed. And this is one that Chris has talked about quite a bit on this show. It's uh, Brandon Cronenberg's second movie. Uh, it's the feel-bad movie of the year, as opposed to Ted Lasso, which makes you feel very good inside. Uh, Possessor is all about making you feel as miserable and grungy, and uh, most likely you want to destroy your brain and by and, and as fast as possible to avoid anything that's going to be happening to you. Uh, it's a near-future science fiction movie. Uh, Andrea Riseborough... Is that your name? I've never said Andrea Riseborough's name out loud until this moment. Yeah. Anyway, she plays uh, an, an assassin for this near future corporation where they essentially put a transmitter inside somebody's brain, hook her up to a machine, and she takes over their body. I think that's correct. Maybe it's Andrea, but uh, a murder, I think and you got the last frame, right? I'm not sure. To do it, and they do it for a fee, and she's very good at it. It's made clear throughout the movie that she's a top-class mind-taking-over assassin, assassin, and she's very troubled. Uh, she's having all kinds of issues in her personal life, many seemingly stemming from the fact that she murders people for a living then gets often is in the body when it gets killed. And uh, she takes on a really big job, a double murder of a... Uh, of a CEO and uh, his daughter and things don't go well. Things go very, very badly. And uh, Brandon Cronenberg, I, I don't want to compare him to his father because uh, he deserves to be taken on his own terms, but this feels so much like an early David Cronenberg movie in terms of uh, really big ideas pulled off on a small scale. It is such smart, creepy, terrifying science fiction. And it's depiction of this really plausible near future in many ways. Uh, helps lend credence to the more outlandish ideas, namely the taking over people's bodies to commit murders. And Cronenberg uh, said that there's little to no CGI in the movie. It's all practical. And it means that the violence and the hallucination scenes all feel really upsetting. It's a, it's an upsetting movie to watch, but there's no denying that's effective. And I don't think they set out to make a movie about how remote working can, can dehumanize you. Uh, but Possessor in, in December 2020 really struck a chord with me as a movie about how when you're doing your job from a distance and you don't necessarily feel the connection with the people you are directly working with, it can cause a disconnect that can harm you. And in this case, that harm becomes very literal. Has anybody else beyond Chris seen Possessor yet? I need, and as I'm planning to talk about this movie a lot during our end of year coverage. I feel like I don't want to see this because I have heard I listened to the slash film cast about this and also I'm not a big Cronenberg, uh, a fan of his father uh, and, and you saying this feels like an early Cronenberg film it's on my list again, makes me like, I, maybe it's not going to be something I should watch. Yeah. I, it's hard to recommend because it's a, not a good time with movies. You don't finish possessor and go, wow, I feel great. But as a, as a as a feat of filmmaking is a feat of, instilling those feel bad tones of of putting putting cinematic violence on the screen that is genuinely uncomfortable and at no point in this movie does the violence feel cool it is very much about it's a movie about an assassin where her actions are deeply traumatizing to the world to herself and to the world around her and the movie lets you feel that and uh chris i gotta ask you i know you saw the sundance has it lingered for you since then Oh yeah, it's still my my number one movie of the year right now, and I it's definitely not going to be for everyone. I mean, it's literally a movie about you know shedding humanity, and uh, it's it's a bleak movie, and the world itself is very bleak right now. So uh, you know, if if you're looking for a pick me up, this is not that movie. But 
Um, I saw, you know, I saw this at Sundance, like Jacob just said, and, um, I didn't know what I was, I was getting into basically. And, you know, I just, I, I came out of the screening at Sundance, like in a daze, just because I was like, what the hell did I just, just watch it? Just like the energy radiating off the movie. It's like, just this is really weird, trippy, bad energy. And I left the theater just like in this sort of like dazed state. And I, I've rewatched <laughs> it since then. And it, it's, you know, it's just a, incredible film um uh, but you know i'm it's it's definitely one of those movies where if someone told me like i i watched possessor and i hated it i wouldn't and be like how could you hate that i'd be like i get that but uh, for me this is like the number one movie of the year yeah and i rented it on amazon for 5.99 for those of you who want to know where to watch it like it's also hitting blu-ray if not right now very very soon um yeah, uh, actually, Possessor and Ted Lasso would maybe watch those together. Watch Possessor and then watch some Ted Lasso to come to get your spirits back up because I can't imagine two pieces of media that are more opposite from one another than those two. Uh, I also watched Nobody Sleeps in the Woods tonight, which is a Polish horror movie that Netflix bought. And I watched it because it popped up on, you know, what everybody's watching on Netflix. And it, it's fine. It's uh, a very straightforward slasher movie with some very bizarre moments, uh, like the reveal of why. Of, the origin story for the slasher killer who's picking off these, these Polish kids, these teenagers and is going to summer camp uh, in this movie. The origin story of the killer is so bizarre that I had to turn to my wife and say, is there a, is there something here? Like a, a, some political satire from Poland that we're missing? Cause this is so left field that it feels like it has to be a cultural commentary of some kind. Otherwise it's <laughs> a uniquely bizarre choice. And uh, director uh, Bartosz M. Kowalski I saw his previous movie called Playground. It's extremely feel bad horror movie. Not even a horror movie, a, a dark, dark drama at, on the festival scene a few years ago. And this is very different. It's very much an '80s splatter movie, uh, uh, except everybody speaking Polish. And it's totally, it's totally a good time. I enjoyed it just well enough. It's on Netflix. You can watch it right now. Uh, but if you've seen this and you're Polish or you have Polish relatives, and I'm missing some kind of commentary that will explain the extremely outlandish turns this movie takes, I want to hear them because it is. It's unusual. I want to know if it's just a crazy choice or a, a cultural moment that I am missing. So that is uh, Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight, uh, streaming on Netflix. And speaking of Netflix, after that, uh, my wife and I were drunk enough that we dared each other to watch Hoobie Halloween, the new Adam Sandler movie. And uh, uh, damn it, we did, guys. We watched Hoobie Halloween. And I don't know if it was the um, Kraken uh, Spice Rum talking, which, uh, which I had <laughs> lots and lots and lots. Uh, but I laughed a lot during Hoobie Halloween. It's a bad movie. Did, did you laugh at it's it or very with bad? It? Uh, like jo- with it a few times. Uh, my jaws on the floor throughout most of it. it, it it's a bad movie. It, it's straight up a bad movie. There's no denying it's it's really badly made, and nobody and most of the cast are phoning it in. Uh, but there are moments, there are individual moments in the movie that made me cackle, like scream with laughter. And it could be because I was drunk. It really could be because I was drunk. But there are two moments in particular where I broke down like sobbing tears of laughter. Uh, so maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm drunk, but um, don't watch Hoobie Halloween sober, but maybe give it a shot after you've had some uh, substances of your choice. <laughs> okay. uh, th- that's a recommendation, I guess. Uh, Chris, what have you been watching? Um, so both the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the, the Hobbit trilogy are on 4K right now. They just came out on 4K. And I got copies of them. And I, I watched uh, all six films over over the Thanksgiving break. And I, I watched the extended versions of both. So it was, it was a lot of, a lot of movie. Um, and, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, 
just phenomenal. And that is just an amazing achievement in filmmaking. Uh, you know, I, I was, I'm not, a, you know, a big Tolkien fan. I've actually never read the Lord of the Rings books. I read the Hobbit, but I didn't really love it. So it never really inspired me to read the, the rest of the books, but these, I, I love these three films. Um, just the, the world building and, uh, the casting and, and just everything really works in these movies for me, you know, even though it's obviously not real, it's a fantasy world. Um, everything feels real here. Everything feels like lived in the world feels like a fully realized world. And that's really hard to do. And it just, it, every time I rewatch these movies, it just amazes me that Peter Jackson was able to pull this off. And, it makes the Hobbit trilogy all the more baffling because everything that works in the Lord of the Rings trilogy does not work in the Hobbit trilogy. And it, it's just so strange because it's so many of this, the same people and not just, you know, cast members, but you know, it's the same behind the scenes team. And yet everything they did right in Lord of the Rings, they don't do right in the Hobbit trilogy. Um, I will say, uh, the first two Hobbit movies, uh, the unexpected journey and the, the desolation of smog, they, they fare a, a bit better than I remember them being. I, I, I actually never watched the extended versions of these before. And the fact that there are extended versions is just insane since the book is, you know, very short and didn't need to be broken into three films, let alone three extended films. But I do think the first two films are a little bit better than I remember them being. But the third film, the, the battle of the five armies is just awful just it there's like a two-hour battle sequence and it's just ugly to look at it's just non-stop junk and it's just it's a little disheartening to go from from lord of the rings to this i almost wish i had done it in reverse and watched the hobbit trilogy first since it's you know they're prequels and then you know cap things off with the much more enjoyable uh lord of the rings trilogy but i didn't because i'm an idiot so, uh, yeah, the, but I, you know, the 4k restorations look great. I will say that like, um, the Hobbit trilogy looks better than I remember it looking, um, you know, just rendered in 4k. So it's got that going for it. And, um, uh, the Lord of the Rings extended editions, uh, they've been released before and the, they had like a, a weird color timing problem that bugged a lot of people. It didn't bother me that much, but I know people have had problems with this where, there's like a weird green tint over certain shots in the, the previous release version of the extended trilogy. And that's, that's completely gone here. It looked like uh, Peter Jackson went, went through and re- restored everything. It just looks amazing. Um, so, yeah. And then on the, the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Sorry to interrupt you, Chris. I have a question about sure. these releases. Um, so I, I'm all in on these movies. I mean, I'll buy the complete set because Lord of the Rings movies are among the best of all time. And Hobbit, I just want to own them just so I can occasionally witness the yes. train wreck again. Uh, but the, the current 4Ks aren't don't have all the special features from the previous Blu-ray and DVD sets. That's coming yeah, later, they're, right? They're not just double dipping; they're triple dipping. So uh, later in 2021, they're going to release. It's called like the Middle Earth edition, where it's all six films in one big box set. And that's going to have all the old special features and new special features. And then they're also releasing a completely different uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy box set that will also have the special <laughs> features. So, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. They're going to make that money. Um, you know, uh, you know, if you want the special features, I guess you, sh- you should probably wait. But if not, you know, you can get these. So, yeah, the, so... 
those two super extended editions will be out in 2021. Yeah, it's cool. probably worth sure waiting. People at home know this because I'm waiting to buy mine. <laughs> yeah, because the special features in the Lord of the Rings movies are among some of the best, especially for when they did the extended editions and they released uh, those feature length documentaries for each movie. Th- yeah. Those are incredible. And I was just looking; yeah. it's about an hour more footage in the exp- extended editions total for the trilogy than the theatrical. So, so Chris, you basically it took you nine hours, basically to watch the three Hobbit extended editions. It sure did. (laughs) Okay. What else have you been watching? Uh, Yeah. On the Cleo side of the spectrum, I watched Moonstruck for the the first time ever. I have never seen Moonstruck. Um, Yeah. Criterion just put a a new release of it. So that's why I watched it. Um, You know, I was obviously aware of Moonstruck. I know it exists. I've seen plenty of clips of, Nicholas Cage yelling at his wooden hand and all that stuff. But I just, I don't know, for some reason I was ever like compelled to watch it, but it got this criterion release. Uh, HT has talked about in the past. People have seemed to love it. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to watch Moonstruck. And what a, what a delightful movie. Oh my God. Um, you know, I wish I'd see it sooner, but I'm glad I finally watched it. It's just very funny and very charming and share is great. Nicholas Cage is from outer space. It's just, it's, 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 it's a hoot. It's a hoot and a half, as I say. Um, uh, and it's just, you know, it's just funny and it's sweet and it's charming and it hasn't really aged that poorly. You know, I, some of the, you know, the gender politics are a little skewed, but it's not like in a malicious sort of way. It's not like some movies where you rewatch older uh, rom-coms and, and you're like, Ugh, this, this is not aged well. Like that, this is aged pretty, pretty damn well, I'd say. So uh, I, I really enjoyed Moonstruck. So if you like me have, have yet to watch Moonstruck, seek it out. You will not be disappointed. Thank you. Okay. Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, I recently caught up on the first season of Jendi Tartakovsky's primal. Uh, this is an adult swim animated series um in case you don't know jenny tartakovsky is the creator of dexter's laboratory and samurai jack uh he also did the early 2d animated clone Wars series for star wars um and he's back with an original series which follows a uh, a caveman and a tyrannosaurus rex um who become unlikely allies in a prehistoric time after they both experience um quite the tragedy in each of their lives uh, and that might sound like it's a little too cartoony, like buddy kind of thing, but this is anything but that. This is an extremely visceral, uh, violent, um, brutal TV TV series. Um, it's uh, unique in the fact that there's no actual dialogue uh, in this series. Uh, the the caveman um, who is called Spear um, grunts and and screams and 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 whatnot. And of course, the the T Rex roars and and screeches. Um, but these characters and the various creatures and other characters they encounter uh, don't speak either. And so it relies so much on visual storytelling and an incredible uh, score. And it's just this very, um, I like uh, really just ancient storytelling. Um, it's it feels deceptively simple, but the storytelling here is just in- incredible. Um, the animation style, um, for those who you know are familiar with Jendi's work, he um, tends to veer a little bit towards anime, but not fully in that camp, um, and and that's definitely present here. And the uh, 
the the action has similar flair flares of anime but as somebody who isn't a huge fan of the aesthetic of anime uh, i love the animation here um it is you know uh, it's 2d animation and it's uh it also feels simple but it's just done so so well i i very quickly just just fell in love with the series because of how um how how well it's it's pulled off and the stories they tell each each episode it, um they only run like a breezy like uh 20 minutes but the kind of emotion um that they pack into each episode is is really impressive especially considering they're doing it all without dialogue um it's just uh it's great i, I can't really say anything more than that it's definitely worth seeking out um as far as i can tell the first five episodes are available on hbo max they split up the first season into two halves and the second half um, aired on Adult Swim starting in October and just ended like in uh, mid-November. So I don't know how soon those episodes will end up on HBO Max, but I'm sure they will sometime in the near future since it's an Adult Swim series and they have their own hub on HBO Max. Um, but this this is really good. HT, I would love to hear what you think of this because I think it's it's right up your alley. Yeah, I have always been meaning to get into Gendi Tartatou. Tartakovsky's work because everyone I know who like write about animation uh, always rave about him and I've seen you know Dexter's Laboratory I've seen some Samurai Jack I never actually got into it uh, it was when I didn't have cable so I, you know I, I got it I saw it when I could but um, I've always been meaning to do this and especially Primal because people were raving about this series um, I think some people even uh, included it on their best oh, really? films of whenever it came out yeah when it first was released um, so I was really intrigued and I just never got around to it because it was very difficult for me to find. Um, but knowing it's on HBO Max, I should, I, I will go check it out. But I want to say, Brad, maybe this will be your gateway <laughs> to watching anime. It, it, might, it might be. I still, I still would like to try and watch some other stuff just to really see if I, if there are some, some, um, some titles that I can get into. Yeah, I think if it's the animation style that really puts you off, there are some that have less of that like stereotypical anime style that I think you would enjoy because anime is very varied and isn't one typical style. It even changes between like decades. So I think there are some that like will probably appeal to you more. I, I had heard of this. I've had seen some people talking about it on Twitter and stuff. But not until you were talking about it, Brad, did I actually look it up and looking at images of this, it looks brutal. It, it is like, the the uh, the violence is it's um it's not like all the time in the episode. There's definitely some downtime, but when there is violence, it is it is rough. Like there, it's it's like flesh tearing, bone crunching, blood splattering. It is it is a very violent show when when the violence comes around. But looking at these images and and your description of it, I'm like. Who greenlit this show? Like, who is this show for? I mean, obviously, it's on Adult Swim. Well, so, so it's for so Jenny Tarkovsky has a, a um a pretty like long standing relationship with Cartoon Network because he was there from the beginning because Dexter's Lab was one of the earliest shows they did. Um, and I, I forget who whose name it is now, but he's very close with one of the people who is um in charge of like greenlighting shows like this for Adult Swim, and so it seems like it was just kind of a thing where they trusted uh, Tarkovsky and they were like, yeah, go do your thing. Yeah, it, 
it definitely seems like uh, almost like an art. Like I don't know, it seems like something I would see at Sundance, like a short. Someone. I think it debuted at a festival. Really? <laughs> yeah. It did play a Fantastic Fest uh, the year it premiered. It played like the I can't remember if it was the entire first season or most of the first season in one go, and people loved it. And then they kind of buried it deep on Adult Swim, and I, I keep hearing how good it is. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's 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 really good. I would definitely recommend that ever, um, everyone go out of their way to to watch it. Okay, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, and then I yesterday while I was working just throughout the day, I tossed on old episodes of The Price is Right uh, because as as we wrote about um, on the site, Pluto TV, which is a, a streaming app that essentially acts as almost like a, a free streaming cable provider, added a channel that is 24-7 classic Bob Barker episodes of The Price is Right. And this just launched yesterday, and so I threw it on because, I, you know, like many people, I grew up with The Price is Right. It's the, the show you watch, you know, when you're sick at home. Um, I remember watching it with my my grandparents, uh, staying over there and over summers, you know, when school wasn't in, in session. Uh, and it's just, you know, one of those classic beloved game shows. And so it's uh, it was really fun to, like, l- see some of these episodes. that I, I've never seen any of the older episodes. We're talking episodes from, like, uh, when The Price is Right um, launched in its current form essentially in 1972 because it had been around in, since 1956 went away uh in the late 60s but that format was completely different than the one we know with bob barker um and so it was really cool just to see these retro episodes some of which haven't e- even been on air since they were first on television around 40 or so years ago and so it's uh funny just seeing the the 70s aesthetics here you know shag carpet and uh, they do a lot of cheesy sci-fi stuff when presenting some of the the retail prizes and things. Like I caught one where they were they did a some kind of trailer camper and it had this whole space theme presentation for the showcase showdown and they used the Star Wars theme, and so everyone was all about sci-fi after Star Wars in the in the late seventies. Um, so it was uh, it was really fun just to to watch this and see some of the old games that aren't around anymore. And I realized that Bob Barker is essentially like the opposite of Steve Martin because seeing what he looked like in the 70s in these episodes he still looks old but he has dark hair whereas steve martin seems to have always had gray hair but continues to still look pretty young <laughs> uh so that was really funny to me and i also wonder i've been wondering if if 1970s game shows were always generally kind of not the most well produced uh pieces of tv because they have some pretty serious like flaws in their presentation like some of the camera work is really shoddy like it's shaky or they don't catch the right shot of like certain contestants and then there was one the one thing that happened where they completely botched how a game went they played cliffhangers which is the game with the the little yodeling figure that like goes up the mountain and falls off if you you know don't um bid the right amount and they misheard what one of the uh, one of the contestants' guesses was, and it caused her to lose the game. So when they came back after the commercial break, the Bob Barker was like, "Well, so here's the thing that just happened. Uh, our our judges heard this number, but it was actually this, and it caused her to lose the game. So we're uh, we're just gonna give her the prizes anyway." And it's it's like, what the fuck wow. are you guys doing? <laughs> so, but it's it's really fun if you get a chance. Uh, check check out the Price is Right channel on Pluto TV, and I, if you haven't checked out Pluto TV in general, it's it's actually just a really cool free streaming service there there's ads because it's free but they have like a mystery science theater 3000 channel they they have tons of cool stuff on there and it's if you're looking for something different to watch from everything else that's in your other streaming things i would definitely recommend giving it a look 
You know, I haven't gone back and rewatched old episodes of game shows. I know Jacob was talking about watching old Jeopardy, and someone on here was talking about Supermarket Sweep when that got, went on on Netflix. What is it like, Brad? Because I feel like part of the appeal of Price is Right, and I, I'm only saying part of the appeal, but is to like guess the price. Like you're playing along with the people on the show of like you know what what the price would be of certain items and stuff. And I feel like when you're looking at this in the seventies, like you have no idea how much, well, I guess it, you could be guessing what it could cost in the seventies. Yeah. I mean that, that, and that actually makes it harder because it's, it's hard uh, to get a grasp on like, you know, appliances were more expensive then than they are now because they were newer and, you know, t- the technology was more, you know, quote unquote adv- advanced then. Um, and so it can make it a little bit more, more difficult, but for, I think the, the funnest thing is just the seeing the, the aesthetic of these old shows and just the, the prizes they gave away and just uh, how dated some of the, like the furniture and cars and, and appliances are and everything. Um, so that's, that's definitely an, an appeal there. And I know Jacob uh, likes that a lot too, because he was, he had talked about before on supermarket sweep about like the terrible nineties fashions and things like that. There were on that show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, HD. What have you been watching? I watched Tesla and I was fully prepared to go into this uh, and fully prepared to love it after watching it. And I came away just liking it. This is the Nikola Tesla biopic starring Ethan Hawke that uh, sort of flouts the usual structure of a biopic by making it uh, a fourth wall breaking, uh, referential sort of wacky, like fun take on the, the genre. And while I really, really enjoyed how the film played with, with the confines of that genre, and I do think Ethan Hawke is so good in this movie, I just feel like it felt something more of a style exercise than a movie that I really came away from with a big impact. Like it's, I feel like there's there's a lot to be said about it because it, it does talk about Nikola Tesla's uh, futurist, forward-looking um, like genius. And I think that showing that from the perspective of the world that he imagined and the world that he helped create is really interesting and exciting. But I just felt like there was a disconnect between that and the character of Nikola Tesla in general. I, don't, I didn't feel like the emotional connection to him, but I feel like... I I could have gotten from a movie that was less enamored with its style, um, so I I did like it though. But and I I just I'm I feel a little disappointed because I am a number number one Ethan Hawke fan girl and I really really wanted to love it. But I would say I would recommend it. And um, that's Tesla on Hulu. And I just want to issue an apology to Chris because I was just so excited about it after his recommendation and just say you know uh, I'm sorry I didn't like it as oh, much. Oh, it's as okay. I mean you know. It's not like my favorite movie ever. I'm I forgive you, HT. Thanks. <laughs> t- t- today is filled with movies that HT did not like that that Chris. Liked. I guess. Oh, man. how dare you! Our friendship is I'm over. Sorry. I know. <laughs> okay, Ben. What have you been watching? Uh, I finished up How to with John Wilson on HBO Max. Um, and man, I just, I really like the show. I struggled to explain what it was last week when I was talking about it after I'd just seen the first episode. And I don't really have a better explanation this week, even though I've finished the series. It's a, it's a show that sort of defies uh, typical categorization. Um, it's, a, it's a documentary comedy, but uh, I just wanted to say that I, I think one thing I noticed throughout the whole series was that it seems to be 
um, on the surface, just like a series of like uh, oddball observations. But I, I think there's more to this show than that. And I, I found it to be uh, surprisingly um, profound at, at certain moments. And I think there's there's this idea of like, um, you know, you've probably heard people talk about it before about like how uh, the more specific something is, sometimes the more uh, that truth can feel universal, even though that seems counterintuitive. And I feel like that idea is sort of on on display in this show as well. There are these connections that he forges, this, this host of the show forges with these uh, interview subjects that feel um, very specific. And like, you, you know, if you're not on the streets of New York City, you would never come across these these people or people doing these specific things or whatever. But um, the the underlying truths that are that are unearthed during these conversations feel very universal and, and very relatable. So um, and, and I thought the season finale was uh, especially poignant and, and sweet and just very nice. So I just wanted to, to follow up on that and say that I enjoyed the entire season of uh, How To with John Wilson. Although there is this one moment in the fourth episode that has, there's a scene that um, it's going to be pretty difficult to watch. Like it's, I, I don't want to say what it is because it's so um, out of nowhere. And uh, there's a pretty incredible moment that happens during it, during this really um, otherwise troubling <laughs> uh, sequence. But um, yeah, so I, I would say, you know, if, if you are on board with the show and you hit episode four and this moment happens and you're like, what the hell? I think that's what you're supposed to feel. And then I would just say, don't give up on the show because the season finale is uh, is very very good. So, uh, yes, that is how to with John Wilson. It's on HBO Max right now. And then what else have I been watching? I oh I, I'm I finished season five of my rewatch of Lost. My wife and I are sort of slowly, uh, patiently making our way through that instead of doing like a, a deep binge. And um, man, I love season five so much. I don't really need to talk about this very much, but I just, uh, I forgot how great season five was. And I think it might end up being my favorite season of the show. Um, I haven't rewatched the show in so long that I want to wait until, you know, everything is is all done before I do like a a season ranking or whatever. But I I think season five is going to be up there. Remind me without spoilers for people who haven't watched Lost and uh, I mean, at this point, but like, what what is season five? Season five is the um, the Dharma season, like where they uh, the nineteen seventy seven um, ah, okay. th- that whole thing, and there's a lot of uh, of um, time jumping and and time travel-y kind of kind of stuff. It's when the show goes full sci-fi, yeah, it really does. And uh, like, God, Jeremy Davies, man, he is just um, unbelievable. Like Daniel Faraday, I think might be my favorite character in all of Lost. I, that's a weird thing to say because um, he comes in so late in the game, and and you know he's not really like that. You know, he's he's never like front and center on any of the marketing or anything like that. But um, man, I just I love every single choice that he makes in that, in that role. So. I'm just going to say, as a, as a fangirl <laughs> during the Lost Days, when um, Daniel Faraday writes in his, his journal, Desmond Hume is my constant, mm-hmm. I went crazy. Oh my God, yeah. Such a great moment. <laughs> so anyway, season five, uh, all of Lost is on Hulu, and I would encourage people to watch or rewatch it there if you want to do that. 
Uh, speaking of 2020 catch-up movies, Jacob was uh, was catching up with Possessor. I finally caught up with Birds of Prey, which is streaming on HBO Max right now. And I really, really like this movie. I, um, I missed it in theaters when it came out in, what, February of this year, guys? Somehow, Birds of Prey is a 2020 movie, <laughs> which uh, seems insane to think about because it feels like ages and ages ago that people were really talking about this in a serious way. Um, but, uh, man, I, I really came away from this liking it a lot more than I thought it was going to. I think going in, I, th- I think I just heard so much um, sort of middling response or maybe people being like slightly disappointed and that in my mind. I gave it a rave review. <laughs> I remember you liking it a lot, HC, and, and and pointing out several moments that I, I thought of you when I was watching it, like being like, oh yeah, I remember that HC really liked this part or this aspect or whatever. Um, but uh, man, I, I consider me a, a very, very big fan of Birds of Prey. I think the only complaint that I would have was, is that the... Um, the final action scene, like the big action climax of the movie, I felt like some of the action uh, choreography and and camera work and stuff like that, it felt a little um, perfunctory, just kind of like, all right, we're just kind of going through the motions here. And, and, you know, I guess you could say that about a lot of superhero movies, but um, I don't know if it was like the staging of this, which takes place in this big, uh, you know, comically uh, novelty sort of uh, abandoned circus yeah funhouse kind of area um and i don't know if it was just like the inherent ridiculousness of seeing you know people like mary elizabeth winstead and margot robbie like bouncing around on giant tongues and and like you know crazy um you know funhouse mirrors essentially and like you know all sorts of like really ridiculous environments if that just added to the whole feel that like okay, this, this whole thing just feels a little um, kind of cheap, like uh, comparatively cheap to the rest of the movie. Um, but other than that one, you know, tiny gripe, I, I loved the characterizations. I loved um, pretty much everything about this. I, I was a very big fan of, of the script. I thought it was great the way that it jumped around all over the place and sort of echoed the sort of uh, uh, what is supposed to be like the insanity of Harley Quinn, like how she's an unreliable narrator. And, and the you know, I remember them comparing it to, Pulp Fiction and all that stuff like you can I, I don't know if you want to make that comparison but I, I just thought everything worked really well um, in terms of like the structure and the characterizations and I thought it was really really well casted I thought um, Ewan McGregor was was having a ball as the villain I thought I thought he was yeah just really enjoyable to watch and his relationship with uh, Chris Messina's character was really fascinating um, Rosie Perez was still rocking it uh, Journey Smollett Bell, I thought, did a great job too. Um, so she's having a, a great year with this and uh, Lovecraft Country. So um, yeah, I just I really really like this movie a lot. And I think if you're you know if you, if there was any part of you that was hesitating on watching it and you subscribe to HBO Max, uh, just you know take the dive and and check this movie out because I think there's a lot here to really appreciate. So uh, that's Birds of Prey. And then uh, finally, I watched Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead for uh, the Not Just New Movies podcast, the podcast that my friend Tyler and I are doing. And um, I think the episode, uh, we just recorded an episode about it. And it's going to go up tomorrow. So if you want to hear me talk about that in, in depth there, but um, you can you can listen to that episode. But I just wanted to sort of open up the floor here and, and really talk to um, zero in on, on Chris and Jacob uh, and get your, your feelings about the phantasm franchise. Are you guys familiar with this or, or what's, what's your uh, take on the phantasm world? Phantasm one is a gonzo 
bizarre masterpiece of something and they get progressively worse from that. oh okay interesting chris what do you think uh i i really like them i i do think the especially the most recent one which i think it was like phantasm ravager or something is is abysmal but oh no <laughs> i have i have a i have a soft spot for the series i love how i love how weird it is i love the the concepts of it uh, the first one is is definitely the best but i i have fun with the series mostly it, it does definitely get worse the further it goes along <laughs> Man, interesting. Okay, because I was totally unfamiliar with it. I think I knew like the silver ball floating around in the sky kind of imagery, but that was about it. I didn't know anything about this. And I just jumped in and watched the third movie because that's the stupid conceit of this podcast miniseries that we're doing where we're only watching movies that are the third entry in in a given franchise. So I had not seen the first or second or fourth or fifth movies in this in this series. And uh, I was very like in over my head, like very, uh, like what the hell is going on here? Um, it has a mythology, Ben, is surprisingly complex yeah. and complicated. Yeah, I, I uh, came to learn that very quickly. But uh, afterwards, I, you know, looked at the um, the franchise overview of the Phantasm movies, and it seemed like Phantasm Ravager, the most recent movie that came out in 2016, really takes things to a totally bonkers place. And it sounded way more entertaining on the page than, I guess, what it, what it actually is, uh, you know, how how it is actually um executed so that's unfortunate uh i'm sad to hear that uh that the movies actually get worse as they go along instead of better because that the premise for phantasm ravager sounds out of this world but um yeah okay. one thing i do recommend ben is at least to seek out the first one uh, the first phantasm i interviewed don coscarelli the director of the phantasm series for the for slash film a few years ago uh, he's one of the best interviews i've ever done he's an incredibly nice man incredibly humble and very happy to talk about the film franchise that he's made over decades. And this uh, Phantasm was restored like in 4K. It's beautiful restoration for a film that is his cult oddity. And it's because J.J. Abrams was such a huge fan of Phantasm that he invited Don Coscarelli into his Bad Robot Studios on off hours to help him supervise a 4K restoration. Wow. Uh, so uh, the interview's on Slash Film. You can find it. We, we told that story. But Phantasm is worth seeing for that little piece of trivia alone because jj abrams loved it that much on his own dime on his own company time he, he saw it restored that's I, cool. I also it, believe that's then... that's why isn't that why captain phasma has the name because and that's why her armor is chrome brad it makes sense i didn't know that for sure but it lines up yeah brad this is why i like you we were both like trying to say the same bit of trivia about this <laughs> yeah new to me i i should know this trivia i did not so this, i'm very happy to know this trivia that's now. great and and just for if anybody wants to watch phantasm 3 it's on uh, amazon right now very cool okay let's move on to what we've been playing jacob you are the only person playing anything this week what have you been playing yeah, I'm still playing PlayStation 5, by the way. Uh, Demon Souls is kicking my ass. But uh, on board games, I was sent an early copy of the new Unmatched set. And board, this 2020 has not been kind in my board gaming circle. We haven't you know, haven't had people over or been to places to play board games. But Unmatched is a great two-player game. I talked about before. It's the uh, card-based miniatures game where people from, or characters from various um, franchises like Jurassic Park... Uh, and Bucket Vampire Slayer can fight up and can fight against uh, characters from like mythology and legend, like King Arthur or Robin Hood. And the new set is a is a the pun uh, a pun, uh, Little Red Riding Hood versus Beowulf, and it is uh, a very cool set. You can play it standalone or you can play it um, combined with any of the others. And it sent it to me a few weeks ago as an early copy, and they 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 um, revealed it a few days ago, and Slash was part of the reveal. 
uh, one of the, one of the several sites slash YouTubers given it early to talk about it uh, as it went on sale. And if you've played the Unmatched stuff, it's it's another really, really good set. And what I like about this set a, a lot is that the mechanics are really fresh. Uh, Unmatched can be taught in less than five minutes. I can teach anybody how to play Unmatched very quickly. On your turn, you can do one of three things, essentially. And then, and then of those three things, you uh, just keep on making those choices. Uh, but what makes the rule set so good is that even one, once you know those three things you can do once you know the basic rules you can apply them to any character in the game across the various games but each character plays completely differently because the cards in your hand will always be very different but as long as you know the core rules you can always play and the beowulf and little red riding hood characters uh do not betray that in any way they're just as quick to pick up as previous characters you can be playing them in minutes but uh, they are doing new things with the cards things that aren't worth going into on an audio podcast they're very visual uh, but it suggests that the people running Unmatched aren't just like lying back in the laurels saying, oh, we'll pump out more characters, people keep on buying it. They're actually actively pushing the gameplay in unique directions and seeing how far they can take the the simple rule set uh, and make it feel richer and different uh, without betraying how simple it is. Uh, I think the Unmatched games are great, and I hope that they send me the next one so I can talk about it again because <laughs> I think that there's no better looking uh, game on the market right now. The, the, the art's by Mondo and Restoration Games does a game, does a game design. It's a match made in heaven. And I'm very excited about this game going forward. I feel really, I was not, I didn't, wasn't in need of rejuvenation and they could have just put it on their box. That's more of the same. I would, I would have bought it. I would have enjoyed it. Uh, but there's a really clear message sent with this set, which is, we are going to be experimental. We're going to be bold and we're going to try new things. And that's a really, when somebody who is successful with, with one thing and could be, could keep hitting the same note again, when for them to say that in any space, even board games, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. I'm very interested to try this. I think I've talked about this on previous versions of this podcast, but you know, especially with the, you know, in our current times and not getting together with friends to play board or card games it's hard to like invest in Unmatched, but I will say this: I I'm a little less interested in sets that are not IP based. Like, I don't really want to be Little Red Riding Hood or Beowulf. That's for me. That's part of the fun, though. Is uh, the Raptors in Jurassic Park can fight Robin Hood, or <laughs> Beowulf can can fight Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or Bruce Lee can 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 fight Little Red Riding Hood. The fact that, uh, or like the Cobble in a Fog set, which I reviewed for the site earlier this year which is Victorian era, like horror characters, like Jekyll and Hyde or Dracula or Invisible Man. It's just this like massive clash of things from all corners of culture. Uh, and having the option to pick the IP based ones or go with somebody who's more public domain and having them all mashed together and seeing how the cards interact. is so much fun, Peter. And you should, you should definitely pick up the Jurassic Park set, Peter, because that's a, it's a franchise you like. Yeah. It is built for two players. Uh, even though all sets are good with two players. It's cheaper because it's only a two-player set, and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, it's, you're at maybe like what thirty bucks as opposed to you know a cheaper, I'm sorry, more expensive board game, which can be you know like I think the most expensive unmet, unmatched box is still forty bucks. But still, it's but you know it's it's not a huge investment compared to most board games. And if you don't like it, you can sell it. How many players can it go up to? It goes up to four currently. I know people online have hacked together rules for for five and six. Uh, in my experience, two and four are the sweet spots. Three is a bit tricky because of the way the rules work. Uh, but I'm really hoping that they uh, eventually release you know rules to have more people play. But 
two and four are the really good numbers. Okay. We've reached the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And I want to thank everybody for writing reviews on iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Give us five stars. Tell us why you like this podcast. And spread the word. We'll talk to you on, uh, what is today? Today's Wednesday. So we'll talk to you on Friday with the Mandalorian. Okay, that's it. That's it. Brad, I'll talk to you on Friday. See you then. Hey, Peter. Peter. Uh, I'm not on the Friday shows. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm actually have not seen any of the new season of Mandalorian yet, so I can't be on Friday show to bring out the what are you what are you doing Jacob you, you, sharper torture post no. cost eclipse implant put down J- by Louis J- Jacob you need to watch season two of the Mandalorian it's so much better than season one it like it's like leaps and bounds like it is take taking up the notches like probably five times from season one. well Peter uh you're a man with coffee nerves you have the nerve to take more than two coffee breaks uh okay Peter, you're a man with coffee nerves. You have the nerve to take more than two coffee breaks. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, you uh, pin badges on frankfurters and sell them as police dogs. Oh, that is true. I did do that once. <laughs> Sorry, that's really funny. <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, ben, uh, you're as cautious as two porcupines making love. Okay. Uh, Brad, you can change a subject faster than a dictionary. <laughs> uh, HT. Uh, oh, goodness, these are all gender based. <laughs> no, no, screw it. We're going to do it. We're an open podcast here. Um, I'm sure HT doesn't mind. Uh, she's looking for a rich girl who's too proud to have her husband work. I am. And uh, Peter. Uh, you're a man with coffee nerves. You have the nerve to take more than two coffee breaks. <laughs> I don't think I, I understand comedy and how, like, if you repeat the same thing over and over again, it'll eventually get funnier. But I don't think this is the case in in this case. Well, Peter, you are a man with coffee nerves, and you do have the nerve to take more than two coffee breaks. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.